0: Secure your digital world in physical form with IM8Bit. For over 15 years, IM8Bit has been crafting premium expansions of the industry's best games, from pioneering community experiences for Epic's Fortnite World Cup to bringing over 100 award winning soundtracks from breakout hits like Untitled Goose Game and Disco Elysium to vinyl, and bringing the Ori sequel to Switch. Their passion for artistry and gaming fuels them, whether they're interpreting beloved brands from a new point of view or extending the mythology of another game. Perhaps one you're developing. What's the IM 8 bit difference? Their collectibles are premium, but for IM 8 bit, they're personal too. See for yourself at
1: IM8bit.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Ted Price from Insomniac Games. On today's episode of the Game Maker's Notebook, I talked to Luis Antonio, creator of 12 Minutes. For those of you who haven't played it yet, 12 Minutes is one of the more unusual games to come out this year weaving a branching, tense narrative with puzzle-like gameplay where you can experience a host of different outcomes. We talk about Luis's shift from working at large developers like Rockstar and Ubisoft to going it alone. We also chat about his organic development process. We talk about the challenges of laying out highly complex branching narrative. And ultimately, Luis shares his thoughts on how one can tackle production stress and transform it into a joyous journey. Please join us. Luis, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. really happy to be here today. Well, I got to tell you, I've, I had a lot of fun playing 12 Minutes. I am still trying to get to all of the purported endings, and uh, it is it is a deep game. It's a deceptively deep game, and I'm just continuing to peel vital layers. So it's been a lot of fun to check it out. And I also wanted to just say for anybody listening, there will be no spoilers in this podcast. So I'm not going to not going to ruin any surprises for anybody so hey let's let's start from the beginning and talk about how you got into game development what inspired you to become a game developer um so i was um i always liked games i think as a kid
2: my father was a programmer uh for banks like years ago like in the in the 70s and 80s when uh when banks, not banks, sorry, libraries, libraries in Portugal. I'm from Portugal. Libraries were were switching from, um, you know, archives being being physical to being digital, and he was part of those people. So we had a computer at home, and I think that's where it started. Like we we had a 386 or a 486, and we would just you know, learning to use MS DOS to put up the the pirate games that your friends would bring you on a on a big floppy disk, and we never had consoles, and so there was always this this learning to deal with this machine that. That stuck up with me. So as I grew, I was always like, I liked art. I, I early on started to use Photoshop. I had a tablet. Um, so once I finished university, I knew I wanted to work in in this new media. I didn't know exactly if it would be film or games. Um, there was nothing in my country, so I looked abroad. And And the more I looked, the more I was like, I wanted to work in video games. And that's it. I, I sent some resumes and I got hired by by Rockstar Games in London. They were opening a new studio there. And, and I loved it, and, and that's it. I just stayed in the industry since then.
1: So you mentioned the choice between film and games. What was it that tipped you over into games? Because as an artist, right, it seems like there probably were a lot of opportunities in both areas. Uh, the main thing was, was um, I was following like Cineflex, those
2: old mags. I, I would follow a lot of movie productions. Um, and what I realized is that... <clears throat> The way movies are are made, usually as an artist, you might be, let's say, if you're working on King Kong, let's say, you'll be working maybe on fur for three years, right? It's very specific. And I like this, that games, you have levels, you have characters, you have environments. As an artist, you have these different refreshing challenges that I was more looking into versus being stuck in in a very... And and the roles in film are very specific, you know, like you'll be a texture artist or a shader artist. While at the time in games, you would, like in Manhunt 2, I made like maybe 30 characters. I worked in six levels. So there was this, it was very refreshing knowing I would do a bit of everything.
1: And when you were working at Rockstar, did you have a lot of input on the design as well for the games? Um, A little bit. We would have, uh, like specifically on
2: on, on the first project I worked, Manhunt, we were a small team and we were... don't know if you know that game well, but you, you hide know, in the I shadows. I
1: played the first one. I didn't, I didn't play Man, okay. but I played the first one.
2: So it's the same mechanic, right? You, there, there's shadow spots that you hide into um, and when you're hidden, the, the enemies don't see you. So as an artist, we had input into what light sources make the shadows and how to make those things feel natural. Um, but And, and just the, the readability, right? Because it was a horror-based game. We, we did a lot of research into how to create horror or horror or moments. So like, when you turn around the corner, what you're going to see? Like, I think those de- art decisions do fit into what design is trying to do. But um, but it was pretty much divided, right? Designers would do all their white boxing and the lead designer would define the narrative and then we would decorate it.
1: Got it. Makes sense. And so eventually you went to Ubisoft, right?
2: Yeah. So I was for three years at at Rockstar. I worked in um, Midnight Club LA, a racing game. Like the same thing. Like I love changing genres. Then it was Max Payne, and then I had a chance at Ubisoft to uh, to be a lead artist for the first time on on other projects, and and they were more narrative based. There was like a, a dancing game. Um, yeah, I moved from UK to Canada, worked at uh, Ubisoft for yeah about three years, um, and then I was a bit um, yeah I became eventually art director. I started kind of to see you know where all these decisions come from and. And that's where I was like, look, there's a lot of of design decisions that are are not happening or I, I mean, just the way games are made was not something I was uh, a big fan of. Like a lot of decisions are more based in, in selling your game than maybe exploring a certain topic, which I understand because of the size of these companies. Um and that's when I started to look for indies and and left Ubisoft and, and started to work with Jonathan Blow and the Witness.
1: What what was it like working with Jonathan? He, he's been a he's been a guest on the podcast, and he talked a lot about the witness. And I had did not know you had teamed up with him. So can you can you share what that development was like? Yeah. So uh, uh,
2: so the way it was happening actually, it's a pretty interesting story. I was um, I was hired. It was so I I was at Ubisoft. I was very tired of being there, and Chris Hacker working on Spy Party was um. I, started, I, I liked his game, so I started to propose how the characters could look like, doing some, some high-resolution sculptures and sending to him, and then we were like, let's work together. But he said, I'm not quite ready yet. Um, but in about half a year, I will be ready to, to bring someone in. So in the meantime, how, why don't you work with Jonathan on, on The Witness? Um, so the plan was to just wrap up The Witness for six months, uh, join in, finish the game. But once I sat down and started to see the game and everything, I started to question, look, what's the art direction here what's the visual style we're going for so those 6 years became 3 years and a half we we changed the art direction and we we we, we redesigned all the assets to look the way they look now um, the experience was uh, it was very different from what i was used to like there's no there's no titles there's no uh, there's no hierarchy i mean there's and there's not even like you don't even get tasks to do it's just like guys we got to do this you have your skill set figure it out. No schedules, no no it was very open, like a lot more responsibility, but a lot more ownership too. Very organic um way of working.
1: Did that cause any problems at times when there wasn't a schedule or really a set of maybe constraints for production? Um I
2: think I don't think so. I mean I, I think it's hard to hire people, I would say, because you're expected to be uh, very responsible. So, some people would hire, you would see they just wouldn't, they would expect a lot of like, you know, do this, do this, that didn't exist. Um, but the team I think he assembled for that game was was outstanding. Like, for example, um, I remember when I joined, right, it was like, you know, let's get a map of the island, let's name each area on the island, let's, let's you know, schedule it out for the art team. So, each person was always bringing their know-how from from other works to fill the gaps that were needed. You know, like, uh, like if I made a website for The Witness, I made the trailers, it, it wouldn't matter. Like whatever gap you see, right? If if we need a schedule, who wants to build a schedule, right? If, if we don't need a schedule now, we don't build a schedule. We all knew, we all had enough experience to know uh, all the steps of development. So we mm-hmm. we only looked into a schedule when we were maybe last year and a half when we knew, okay, we're going to have an estimate delivery date. Let's see if we can work, build something backwards towards that date. So we hit it. Uh, but Jonathan, up until then, he didn't want any, um, which was very interesting too. He, he wanted an environment where creativity would not be constrained by, um, yeah, by milestones or schedules, right? If if we need to do a major change for the greater good of the design, we're not like, "Oh, but we said we would be done in a month. There was none of that, um, so it was pretty open in that sense
1: that's great. Were there some processes or philosophies you brought over when you decided to do your own thing? Oh, a ton of them
2: <laughs> like the, the, I, so the, the main one like by far is um, i don't know if that come from Jonathan because also so also in the office um he had this open door where other indie developers would come in while they're working on their games, like uh, Daniel Ben who was working on Storyteller at the time, or or Fidel, I think. Mark Ten Bosch, working on Miyagakuri. So you... Like, AAA is very private about what they do, right? They're very closed up. You don't share tech. You don't share thought processes. But indies, it's this community where, you know, these guys come in, they're working on their games, you see what they're doing. And so you see how... How the design process itself, it's it's very organic. Like you're first the person that programs is the same person that designs. While in AAA, you have a design team that assigns tasks to programmers and and you have this iterative process that I think it's a lot of information is lost and it just takes longer to get somewhere. While here you have this immediate result. So that was probably the biggest one where um that's what made me learn to program to do 12 minutes was realizing to execute a vision you need you know, to actually get your hands dirty. Um, But also let the game speak to you. Like I remember um, Jonathan, he knew what the game was about, right? He was designing the puzzles and, and, and the high level of the island. But then as we brought in our ideas, those ideas would sometimes reshape where the project was going. And he would let those things speak with the concept itself and let that grow organically versus having a very locked down vision. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was the biggest one because for 12 minutes, I I knew the concept, explored this accumulated knowledge uh, through the the time loop mechanic, but I had no idea if it would be a platformer, a shooter, uh, a narrative. I, I knew nothing. And I didn't want to know, right? I wanted to explore the concept and see what it would tell me back. Um, and I learned that from seeing all these indies and how they explore design in such an intimate way.
1: That's really cool. I I will share that having read your development blog on your site on uh uh 12minutesgame.com. Yeah. It's it's really cool to watch your process and and that you were open about it. And what what was the what was it an easy decision just to be open from the very beginning about the process you were taking, or did you have to wrestle with that one? Uh,
2: there was a couple of reasons. Like as an artist, um, every time you learn a new tool or like, or you want to learn a new skill, it's very useful to, to catalog your development because you don't, it's very hard from your perspective to see any progress. Like if you're learning a new skill and doing a blog as an artist is very useful because you can see, well, yeah, now I know how to draw anatomy or whatever, because I can see the drawings I was doing three months ago that I, made a blog about. So I wanted to do the same process for myself to see the evolution of this process I'm going through. Um but on the other hand I also realized there aren't there weren't that many resources. Uh, I mean Lucas Pope on Tick Source is a very big inspiration for me where he, you know, over the papers please he shares every single step. And I wanted to kind of yeah, also share this this journey with with other developers and and um and just be open about it. I think it's I mean I'm actually writing now a uh, a more in-depth making of because now I can share, you know, all the spoilers and all the struggles and even the prototypes that no one ever
1: saw. Um, yeah, uh, that's great. I mean, having played and then being able to go back and read what you posted even as far back as 2014 was <laughs> was really cool. And it helps me gain a greater appreciation for the decisions that you made along the way. And And with that in mind, one thing I didn't see in the blog was the point at which you decided to do your own thing, which I, was probably before you started the blog. So can you talk about <laughs> that moment when you said, I need to make my own game? Um, it was a very organic
2: process. It wasn't um, like, so the concept itself of 12 minutes, like the concept of a time loop or playing with the mechanic of a time loop was something I wanted to do for, like, since I was at Rockstar, actually, they were, um, there were open pitches for new ideas for games and, and GTA 4 was about to wrap up in Edinburgh and we had the technology of that engine. So I was like, what if we do a 24-hour loop where everything is simulated in the city and we do like a Groundhog Day um, experience? Um, we we're like, oh no, let's not do that. But the idea of, yeah, the repetition just stay there. Um, so at Ubisoft, I tried to get some friends to do the game with but no one wanted to work you know, on their free time on someone else's game. And then, right, while I was working on The Witness, and, and I, like, just seeing these developers come in and just code their ideas and, and showing, or, or even, like, Jonathan, sometimes he would have, there was a puzzle he wasn't quite solving. And he's like, guys, I think I have an idea. He would go into a room, code a bit for an hour, come back, and he would show you, right? And you'd see this, you know, these diamonds in rough of these beautiful design ideas come to life. And I was like, I want that. I want to learn how to do that. And so I started to learn how to program. But I never thought I would do the game. I was just, I'm going to learn to program, experience this. But my my skill set is as an artist. Um, but as this prototype kept growing and growing and growing, um, yeah, everyone around me was like, dude, this is pretty solid what you have here. Um, so I was like, OK, let's see if it's not only you guys, but if there's an interest to make this happen. And and so I think that the, the block starts a bit before. So, so I went to PAX East
1: mm-hmm.
2: on the Indie Mega Booth just to see, let's see what happens if I have the game to the world to play. And, 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 I, and I got a ton of people playing. I got interviews. I got like Polygon, Kotaku, uh, Rock Paper Shotgun. They were all enjoying the game. So then I started the process of, okay, let's, let's see if I could get funding for this. So it was only once I had the funding secured and the prototype, all the main design challenges were solved that I... Very safely decided. Okay, the witness is wrapped up. I'm gonna go full time
1: on this. Hmm. If you don't mind me asking, what was your process for obtaining funding? And it, I think your answer probably could help a lot of people who are interested in doing the same thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I'm very happy to share all these things. I mean, especially industry people, it's because it's it's a it's a black box. It's very hard to understand how these things happen. Um, mm-hmm. So the first step and this was a big lesson from Jonathan was about, and and seeing other indies too, was to make sure I had solved all the major design issues, right? The worst thing you can do is, is have a vertical slice and you sign up with someone. And then you realize that your idea does not expand to 10 levels or 10 hours. So I, the game was like, you already had like five to six hours. the, The main narrative was figured out. All the mechanics were figured out. So I could even approach a publisher saying, look, I've, I've, I solve all the big risks, like you can see that this just needs like a script. I have the script for the film. you can read the script and you have a feeling for what the film is about. We just need now to produce it and and the costs are much easier to calculate um so that was the first step, so every time I approached the publisher, I had this very clear vision, and I was looking for someone who would uh think the same way. That was the most challenging like because most publishers have a specific platform they work on or they have a specific contract where you don't have as much creative freedom as you want so just finding someone that would think the same way as I was thinking Um, and I was like fortunate enough that I was full-time working on The Witness so I if something didn't fit the way I wanted I, I didn't have to say yes so it was about a year of like honestly like if to give advice I would say like GDC Indicate all all these events where you can show your game, and they always have they organize a lot of you know like speed dating with publishers where you can meet like in an hour you meet like I met everyone I, I think I met everyone and and then you meet them six months after another event um, and you become you understand where this publisher is coming from like just like Ubisoft was coming from we want to make money out of the game is our priority uh, it's finding a publisher like actually the first. Deal I made was with Microsoft, the idea Xbox program where they they were like, "Look, here's money, we fully trust you, go do your thing," um, hmm. which was exactly what I was looking for at the start.
1: And then eventually you met Annapurna, right?
2: Yeah. So so what happened was it was it's it's pretty interesting. I'm gonna go into detail. Um, when there was, there's a big decision when you decide to do a game, which is how much. Because doing a video game, there's, I think there's like, there's three pillars, I would say. There's there's actually game development. There's the, the production side of doing a game, you know, managing the budget, managing the sales, which is super important. Managing all this, all this making. And then there's also the marketing, right? Like how, what's going to be your take? Because if there's no marketing, your game is very unlikely. No one will know about it. Um, and my plan was, I'm going to we're responsible for all this, uh, because I saw other indies doing this, but so, so having this just straight up money from Microsoft and being able to take care of all this is something I wanted to see. Um, but I quickly realized after one year of development that it's, it's crazy. I would spend more time drafting contracts, hiring people, managing budgets, scheduling meetings and things than actually developing the game. Um, but the game was clearly evolving. Um, and it got to a point where it's like, I can finish it up now. I wrap this up and this is what the game is. But everyone I was talking to, there was this potential of look, if if you invest more into this, it can grow into something much more special. Like I, I haven't finished right polishing whatever this thing is. Um and that's and I had spoken with Anapurna before. We because that was the thing I had to decide. I knew with Anapurna I would have a publisher and I wouldn't I wouldn't be controlling a lot of things, like things that I don't want to control in the end. But that's the thing I realized: I don't. If I have a motion capture session or a voice recording session, I don't want to be calling the sound studio, finding the schedules. I just want to focus on what we're actually recording. Um, so it was perfect. It was this relationship where they would offload that from me, and for this specific title, right? We we totally align. Like I was like, I want to make a movie experience, and they have all these movie luggage. So I was like, we're speaking the same language in terms of, I was like, look, if we get some some talent behind this, you know, like movie-like talent, and we're trying to do this movie experience, will this improve what we're doing? And they're like, yeah, let's figure that out. It was always this, let's both figure out how we can arrive there uh, versus just having money and having to do this all alone. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's what made me you know, do that move and, and, and partner with them to, to move forward with the project.
1: Well, it, it actually references something I wanted to talk about later, but it's a great time to talk about it. It sounds like you successfully avoided having an echo chamber where it was just you figuring out what to do without any external input. And it sounds like Annapurna was a really great creative partner, right? Were they, were they giving you just feedback when you wanted it on various approaches? Um.
2: Yeah, I mean, in that sense, like, I think because I've been in industry for long, um, there was never an issue. Like, everything I do, even as an artist, um, for example, the witness trailer, I would do the trailer, I would show it to everyone in the office, but I would also show to all developers I know to get all these points of view. Um, so, the game, 12 minutes, like, from early on, there was a build I would just be sending out, sending out, sending out, right? I would, right, exactly. I would make sure I wasn't pigeonholing myself into an idea that, only I agree in. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think what, what they really help is more the um, seeing the scale of things on a larger level. Like, uh, let's say we have to do mocap. We have this amount of animations. I made an estimate of how much we need. They can see how much it's going to cost. We can see, you know, spread it out in a budget and, and 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 organize it. But also, yeah, like marketing ideas. If I... We had some crazy ideas of things we wanted to do and they can... They can go do that exploration and come back with what they've learned. Things that I, I wouldn't even know where to start from. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're right; like they would even sometimes, I like often like, just throw ideas. Like, hey, you you want to explore this? We thought maybe we could try doing this thing. And and yeah, it was a it was a perfect relationship to be honest, like a family. It was a I did not expect that from a publisher to be honest.
1: Well, it's I. I do think that it's fairly rare to find those connections with, with between developers and publishers where everything actually is working great. I mean, often I think we usually hear the the negative side, but it's it's really great to see an example of where that connection worked very well. And I, and just going sort of back to the mechanical side, when you started working with Annapurna, did you and did you together set any constraints for yourself? about when it came to timelines or deliverables or did you continue to keep it very open as far as what the game was going to be at certain times yeah yeah like yeah totally
2: open like a rule for me was and one of the reasons I signed was time and money they disappeared as variables hmm. right they no longer existed i mean the budget was was comfortable enough of course, that would be like if I took 20 years. It's like wait, <laughs> there's something off. But the, it was very comfortable. There was no, um, there was room for ideas to breed, experiment things going past that might go nowhere. Um, but I mean, but by that time, right? I already had a very solid prototype when I signed with Microsoft. So by the time we we partnered, there was a very we were closing in, right? It wasn't yeah. like oh maybe we're gonna have three levels. There was none of those. The focus was a lot into the characters themselves, the way they speak, right? It was this refinement of like when, when you know it's about three people, let, let's explore these three characters as much as possible and, and, and these meanings that you know. We know you want to you wanna delve into these topics and these ideas, let's just explore them deeply. But we're already focusing on, on the end result.
1: So it sounds like though the game. Continued to evolve from from the beginning. So I want to go again back to your original vision. Can you describe what the original vision was for the game?
2: Yeah. So so the main goal, like the what drove the development was, um, yeah. What what is interested? What is interesting about accumulated knowledge and. The first explorations were about the mechanical things, you know, like you you know the key code for a door, now you can open this door uh, on the next loop. But it quickly became more about um, how you interpret that knowledge. That's what I found was, there was something interesting about that, where you, you're not being told what to do, you're seeing things unroll before you, and you're trying to deduce what to do with that. So there's not, not only the things you're learning, but also how you're interpreting them. And that's what I found. This is what I think this, this thing that I'm working on will be about. Um, and then suddenly I was like, yeah, it makes more sense to be about relationships and people you care about, people that are close to you. And and like, can we can we do something out of that? So so the first, I think the first year was all about, this was even before signing, was just the mechanics of doing this. Um, because I didn't know how you would interact with the world, you know? I. Because like, you know, you, you have games with very clear mechanics, like shooters or platformers. But I also wanted to, you know, for you to have a bit more nuance in how you express yourself. Show some, you know, give a glass of water to your wife versus just, you know, pressing doors and going through buttons. So how can I... And early on, there was a lot of experimentation of, you know, I had a full thing where she wanted to drink a tea and you learn what kind of tea she likes. So you make right you, finding ways for you to um yeah to be nice to someone or to to understand you care about them versus not caring about them and and playing with those areas and and finding mechanics that work and point and click was always kind of what i felt was closer to that so so a lot of time was just this figuring out the mechanics and what puzzles can be made out of the mechanics and how to constrain the verbs that you use as a player, so you're not thinking, you know, I'm going to drag the couch to block the door or I'm going to jump out the window, right? You know the verbs like, like a shooter. You don't drop the gun on the floor. The gun is glued to your hand. You accept this as the reality. So clear verbs and inside those verbs and this exploration of, of accumulated knowledge, what can be done? Um, so that was the first year was all about this, finding out what's the play space that I have with these constraints.
1: That's I, I love the idea that you had a sounds like you had a very large collection of verbs and then started to slim them down to a more manageable set of building blocks. I mean, I experienced that in the game, and it was really cool too to see how you connected those verbs with changes of emotion. I mean, it was it was great feeling like I was not winning necessarily, but making something happen because I could. The reward was a change in tone from yeah. so. Being clever about combining actions and things,
2: yeah, yeah. That, that was another tricky thing I realized. Like that, the sense of progression is very different from what people are used to because you don't change levels, you don't get armor. Like the only sense of progression is your knowledge, and then later on, right? This was a part of exploration with Tanapurna was let's your characters is your progression. Like the way he's going to grow has to be as close. When you're frustrated, he's frustrated. when you're happy, he's happy. When you learn something, he learns right. something. Let's keep this as accurate as possible so you feel yeah, otherwise you don't know how much you're progressing into into the narrative um,
1: yeah that sounds like it was i mean if you talk about the the stages of development, that sounds like it, it was was that something you tuned later in in development um it was an
2: ongoing thing like everything was pretty much ongoing like for example, like very early on uh. In the very early prototypes you would have like those point and click wheels you see the fridge you could look at open close and it was like too complicated let's clean that up or there were elements in the apartment that were ambiguous like you had a wallet there was food in the table but every time we had this ambiguity right the player doesn't understand how that object the intent of that object um so it was like or you could Like if you killed someone, you could drag the body, you could place things on the floor. Um, So it was a lot of removing, was constantly removing things that would distract you from what matters. Um, So it was a a constant process of that. Like even for a long time, the characters had names. I was like, we don't need their names. There was a day. I don't need the day. I don't need the year. I don't need the location. Let's just take everything out and, and... and own it in so you never get lost. And because you're going to hold all this in your head, we don't want to confuse it with, with any noise that is not relevant to what is being said here.
1: That's a great lesson for any designer to, to hear. I love, I love those examples because it's, I think we're always so tempted to throw everything in on, with the idea that it's going to make it more believable or more immersive or it reflects real life but in a game right? It can just create frustration. And that's really cool that you did that. So my question is making those decisions, right? About removing the wallet or removing the time of day or day or the names, were those were those informed by having people play the game that you didn't know? Is a usability testing or um, others
2: on the team? So I, I learned, I think this from Daniel Benmergi, where... Um, and you kind of see it, I think, as you do more games. Like I, I, Because you interact with the game that you're working on, the game is talking to you, especially if you're programming it. There's this... Um, at a certain point, the variables of what you're building are complex enough. Like, when you develop a game, like very early on, the wife, each character was a, was a cube with different colors. I was like, look, imagine this is the wife, imagine this is the cop... Now imagine that now you're sitting down and then you like, you make a quick model and now you have someone sitting down and there's a moment that you don't see them more as objects. You see them as the wife, you see it as the apartment, you see it as the cop and suddenly, right. You're imbuing, um, you're, you're conceptualizing these things and now they have suddenly meaning to you that you care about. And when that happens, I think on any prototype, the prototype is now talking to you about what it's doing, and it's more listening to what is happening. Um, and some things, just for example, before the camera would move as you move between each room. Um, and literally, when I was playing, it was very hard to select a character because or an object because the camera is dragging. Right, but because I made the camera move, because I designed the ray casting system to select an object, I can be like. I could break down the elements and see if the camera was static, it's easy to select an element. So let's stop the camera from moving. So the, you, you, it kind of, it's more listening to what the game is telling you. And usually the game tells you very quickly the mistakes that you're doing. Uh, like, for example, uh, the dropping objects on the floor, I have to write the system of dropping things on the floor. Um, and then I have to write the line of sight of the character seeing things on the floor. And then I start to see all the edge cases. And then I'm like, hmm, is this three months of extra programming <laughs> go against the concept? Not really, right? And and, then, and even myself, if I'm dropping an object on the floor, I'm seeing, can I drop it everywhere? Yes, I can. Wait, but players will also want to do this. And they're going to be thinking that there's a meaning to this. Does this meaning, right? So yeah, it's a bit of having people play. But I think there's a lot of listening to what you're doing and seeing it grow. Almost like a child, I guess, and seeing, yeah, like if I'm feeding you unhealthy food and you're, you're growing, you know, unhealthy, maybe I should change that slightly. I don't know. That, that was maybe not the best comparison. I
1: think that's a great analogy. Yeah. No, it's really good. Uh, I, no, thank you for sharing that, that thought process. And I, I completely commiserate with it. Having, uh, I think a lot of us who are involved in development... Don't always recognize how important that particular process is sort of to really think about what matters and and make those trade-offs, right, between effort and reward in the game and think, think hard about it. Uh, and I think, at least when, from what I'm hearing, because you were not asking others to do it, you were actually on the hook to do these things. It sounds like you had a lot of incentive to really think through these things. Exactly. <laughs> which is, which uh, is great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's what hooked me
2: into learning to, it's literally like, then I realized it's like if you're an artist and you're drawing a character, but you don't, you're asking someone else to draw it for you. And you're like, ah, could you move the arm a little bit? And then they move the arm. Oh, actually, now that I see the arm as moved, I, maybe he shouldn't have an arm. And, and there's this, no, just learn how to draw and, and you can iterate much faster. I mean, something else I would have changed looking back would be that I think there's a point that you have this very strong skeleton of what the game is and if you've played it like if i knew this before i would have i would simply, like have hired someone to be focusing on on animation a specialist a technical animator who would, his sole work would be closed space movement he would be solving all these issues that i, I knew they were there but i was like oh i want to learn how to do this but there's some some challenges that could very easily be like you know the limitations. You know what you have to do. You have two, three years to go. Have a specialist focus on that challenge. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, that's a that's a great segue into another question I wanted to ask about y- what you did. Uh, with Since you were wearing a lot of hats and responsible for so many aspects of the game, how did you avoid getting sucked into rabbit holes and just kind of going crazy with uh, animation, coding, art, whatever? Yeah. Um, Like, I think I just, I learned that. I don't know how I learned. I think just the
2: years and doing mistakes and, and, and like, I think as an artist and and this probably artists will relate with this, uh, the tools that we have are, are very complex and you can, it's very easy to get lost in, you're doing an armor for a character, right? And then you, you start getting lost into the pattern of the armor and and, and how you're going to model it and, and then no one's going to care about that, or, or 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 actually no, actually you care about it. You make an amazing armor, but then your lead says, actually we're not having armors in the game. It's in the future. <laughs> you're like wait, so you you stop seeing your work as your little personal baby. It's just everything you do is towards an end goal, and if it doesn't match the end goal, you're not going to keep it. So there, there's there very comfortable. I got very comfortable throwing away a lot of what I do. I just throw it away. It's not, it's just, a, and I, and I think I learned very quickly that sometimes, for example, the witness, this would happen. You'd have to build, let's say the, the entry castle, like I, I made the entry castle, like I had to rebuild it maybe three times, but I could only arrive at the final iteration. I had to do the other two to arrive at the third one. Yeah. So, I think before I would try to arrive at the last version by thinking a lot, but it doesn't work that. I, I rather just throw the garbage out first mm-hmm. to quickly arrive at the end result. Um, so I just apply that process in general, right? Like like like. Let's say the dropping objects on the floor. I could start to see that mechanic would require a lot of expansion, so I would do a very rough version, and then let it simmer, and 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 just kill it. And, and we, I mean, there were a lot of like, looking back, there was a lot of paths that were taken. like, And programmers, they showed me this a lot, like in programming, um, rather than like, imagine I'm doing the dialogue system. For a long time, the dialogue was written in, in code. All the dialogue was written in code in a linear format. But it was only when I couldn't manage it anymore, right? It was, it was a spaghetti of remembering what connects that I had all the problems I need to solve to create a dialogue system versus writing a dialogue system early on of what I think I'm going to need. And then I have to maintain this dialogue system for months and discard it. So the programmers like, it was great at Tecla, like at, at, on The Witness, I would, you know, lunchtime, I would just be asking questions all over about state machines, uh, optimizations, uh, thinking you know, about object-oriented writing code. And, and they would always say the same thing, just write the, the worst, fastest code you can to get an idea in and let that grow into, um, yeah, you, you see the patterns. You very quickly see the patterns and then you can make a more robust version based on what you're trying to solve. Uh, I think that saved me a ton of time.
1: That's a great answer. I mean, rapid iteration, right? Versus noodling um, and, and getting just caught up in one's own craftsmanship. I totally get that. Exactly, exactly. Like, and I couldn't get
2: because I had no craftsman. I was learning to program. I even, it was more like I would arrive at the programs and say, look, I found all the issues I need to solve. I have no idea how to solve them. And they would just throw me concepts of uh, maybe use state machines. Maybe you could actually like... The conclusion was to actually use a flowchart program to write all the dialogue and then write an exporter or an importer to get that into the game which allowed me to you know like because i realized like for localization they cannot go into the code to change the text or if i want to visualize everything like splitting systems right where the dialogue is separate from the game engine same with the audio so so even collaborators can come in and look at things
1: well I'm glad you mentioned the dialogue system. I really enjoyed looking at your blog post about the branching system and what YED, I think was the name of the yeah, program. yeah, yeah. Right? That was super cool. Was that the was that sort of the end result of of making the transition from everything in line to having to have a more comp, easily understandable, modifiable system?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So so like I said, like the text was all in in a very linear format, horrible to read like terrible. Um, but I knew what I needed. Like I knew first visualizing, I'm very visual, right? So visualizing a conversation, um, but not only visualizing, but in the time loop, like specifically for this game, there were, if you want to have the same conversation again and you've had it already, your main character needs to be aware of that. So I knew there was this pattern of first having the same conversation. Um, if the same conversation happens in the next loop, seeing all those variations of the same conversation, and then once I knew that there was knowledge involved, like let's say an example, I'll let me make something that's not spoilery, like uh, like the wife telling you the dinner is ready, right? If it's the first time you hear it, if it's the second time you hear it, if you've already been through the dinner, or, or if you're asking for a meal, let's have the dessert. Like you have the first time you ask for the dessert, you have the... Because you could even ask for dessert before she mentions the dessert. So she doesn't know. She's like, how do you know about the dessert? I haven't told you yet. But you could also ask for dessert after the cop rang the doorbell. You could ask for the dessert after you've proven to her you're living the same day. So there was, there were this knowledge, whatever, 50 things that you know, mm-hmm. and that knowledge changes the way you talk about that topic. And that topic itself will change based on how many times you've spoken about it. So I, I knew all these things. So it was finding a way to visually organize them. So I just tried, I don't know, like 10 flowchart programs, seeing how they can color code things, how they can export, just, yeah, slowly, now that I know the issues I want to solve, what's the first one that helps me um, achieve all this?
1: Was it was that a fun process going through all of the what ifs? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think
2: you'd have to define what fun is. I, I think at, like very early on in my career, when I started to learn 3D, right? When learning uh, Studio Max, there, there was a guy saying, look, doing game art is like knitting. Like, and, and this is before like ZBrush and everything. You, you're moving the polygons one by one, the vertices. Yeah. So there's this, it's, it's I guess like, like stop motion a bit. Is it fun to move the guy every inch? kind of there there's a, a meditative pleasure to it but i i wouldn't call it fun because i i literally like especially when i converted all like because i i converted all this linear format into a spreadsheet right and there was a moment that i thought i knew what it was going to look like but i didn't i had to redo everything this would take maybe 3 4 weeks of moving boxes and taxes and things it's There's a pleasure, I think, knowing your – that's why the development blog idea works because then I look Uh – I felt this month was a waste, but then I looked at the previous month, I had none of this. It was a huge leap in progress, but uh, it didn't feel like that as I was toiling away and and, and figuring these things
1: out. That's another great point. It's so easy, I think, in development to forget all the progress one makes, even if the progress involves – Failed experiments, right? But the fact that you you categorized it and, and or cataloged it and could go look at your journey and go, oh, it's a lot. It's a more robust journey than I thought. It's yeah, fantastic, yeah. right? It's a great lesson for all of us.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think our brain, like we always have this inner voice that is bringing you down a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you? The, it's questioning everything you do, and and it's very helpful to have that inner voice. But I think that rela- your relationship with that inner voice if you want to be happy as a game developer it has to be like even, even the concept of rush like a lot of people come to me is like oh six years to do the game took so long I'm like look when I finish a game I'm going to do another one I doing the game is 99% of my time so that time has to be extremely pleasurable so it's not I'm in a rush to stop developing I'm loving it man so if it took 10 years it means I'm having a ton of fun So, so changing from, am I done? Am I almost done? Am I almost finished? Why am I taking so long? Like the voice stressing me out versus being in the moment and just enjoying the process. Yeah. Enjoy the journey. Rather than looking, where's the end of the tunnel? Am I, am I near the end? Am I at the end? Uh, Stop doing that. Right. I, I mean, I can ask that myself maybe once a week for 10 minutes, but the rest of the week, I am not thinking about that because it just stresses you out for no reason. And I'm already working towards there.
1: Okay. So I got a really hard question for you.
2: <laughs> Let's go.
1: I, I love that philosophy and that mindset. Yet you've worked with big deadline driven companies who need to get stuff out fast or on, you know, at a specific, on a specific date. How do you take that mindset and really enjoy the process. If you do have those go no go gates always staring you in the face on a large project, is, there, is it possible to do both? It's definitely possible.
2: So through the development of twelve minutes, I had a, I had two kids, um, and having a small child makes you um, you suddenly realize you have a human being that's being developed, and he needs values. You know, like if your kid is playing with another kid and they punch him because they want their toy. I'm like, what do I tell him? I know what my parents taught me, but is the values that they taught me, you know, the best values for this child? So I started to question my own values. We started this introspection journey that was very important in parallel to the game, not only informed some decisions in the game, but it also informed how I look at life, where when you have a challenge, right? I'm used to seeing it as a problem, that you need to have these negative feelings towards and build this tension and you don't let that go until you've solved that. But once I start to question the way I look at reality, right at at my ego and my, 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 thought process and seeing that as a also work in progress, I could, I started to rewire the way I look at situations, you know, like, and dealing with tension, like every problem you have is not a problem. It's a challenge you have to solve and you're going to do your best, and suddenly a lot of the stress disappears, and you can deal with more stresses, right? It just becomes a, um, yeah, it becomes pleasurable. It suddenly becomes pleasurable because, right? For example, I realized for like for three months my routine was: I, I I wake up, I sit in front of a screen, right? I press my keyboard keys, I go for a meal, I press the keyboard keys again, I I, I then go to sleep. But maybe like maybe one morning, like there was an animator that quit the project, right? And we like that messes up all the deadlines. We're not gonna hit that. We have no one now. We have to find someone. But in reality, my reality didn't change. I'm still sitting at a desk, going to eat every morning, right? And there's no line that's gonna eat me. I, I don't. I, I don't have any big disease. I'm not. Right. All my needs are being met. It's just my thought process that's firing up. So the ability of stepping out of your thoughts, which was. I think it's crucial for anyone in the world. We should learn that at school allows you to, you know, when, when the game is crashing and, and, and you're, you're not going to hit the deadline and you're maybe out of budget or whatever, you can take a deep breath, you know, and be like, I'm just sitting at my desk and, and the world is not colliding. And then you can look at the problem, which is not a problem, right? It's just a bunch of challenges and, and be at peace honestly like, it's not that you're happy or sad but you're at peace because because the present moment is perfect most of, like 90% of the time the present moment is is
1: is perfect there's nothing happening <laughs> i love that that's that's pretty awesome despite the stressors that we all encounter so i love your perspective on turning that around that's really cool thank you yeah uh so i i could ask you questions about philosophy all day but i did just selfishly, I did want to talk a little bit about the amazing voice work that you have in the game, and and switch subjects to sort of working with Hollywood. So you know, a lot has already been written about the fact that you've got William Dafoe, Daisy Ridley, <laughs> James McAvoy playing the main characters, and I I thought they were fantastic choices to drive the narrative. But what? Why did you pick those three in particular? Um. So there, there's there's some
2: funny elements like the. the so the start of the process was that there, there was, for a long time, the game was not going to have VO. It was mm-hmm. just um, dialogue balloons on the hands, and it became subtitles.
1: Um, before, wait, qu- before you go any further on that, I, did want, I do have a question about that. But So at that point where you had thought maybe we should have text balloons um, and, and then decided to use recorded voice, were you anticipating any challenges running, like actually using recorded voice versus text bubbles, like mechanical... Uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there were a couple. Like the
2: first one was I leaned for a long time on how you interpret the text that you see. Because you can say, oh, I imagine he's saying this now very pissed. Or now he's saying this very Mm -hmm. relaxed because it's just text. So there was a lot less text going on because you could interpret replies and reactions in a lot of directions. And I knew once I put animation on top of this, I can have the animation give meaning to the exact same sentence in a different way um, okay yeah so i was afraid at bringing voice acting um the fluidity between lines and and um yeah and, and conveying certain emotions like you have all these extra efforts you have to have to make sure like and there's probably some moments where that still happens you know where suddenly she's really happy after you've you've given all these horrible news um That was probably the the thing I was most worried about. Also, Mm -hmm. I've never done any VO work in my life. I've been an artist all the time. So I know there was all this process of... Yeah, like the scripts are not written for actors at all. They're written in these flowcharts for me to know where things go. Whoever does these voices, there's going to be an an epic amount of work in... Like literally every dialogue, we we had to do this. We spent... Maybe six months. Every single dialogue writing. You're having dinner with the wife. You've told her you're leaving the same day. You've done this to set up the table. You're about to say this, and now you're talking about this topic. But for everyone, and then organize this in a semi-chronological way, and then write through a month-long session, just being on top of all this to make sure there's. I'm the only one tracking all because no one knows anything, and it's too complex. Uh, no one else was holding all this information. So, yeah, that was my biggest fear uh, going into it. So, but what we did was was the same thing. Like, that's the thing I, I, I like about these collaborators. I was like, let's see if it's worth it was the first question. So, we, we, we wrote down like some four or five script pages of key moments in the game, you know, like going to dinner with the wife, uh, maybe the cop breaking in and everyone reacting, them being interrogated, maybe a moment later, like, some moments for um, for monologues where you can really understand key parts about the characters, and we, we just got some local LA actors. We set them all on a table. We give them the script, and we just let's go, guys. Let's let's see these let's see these voices coming to life, and and you're like it's amazing. It's so much better, right? the, the, the guy knocking at the door, ah. these conversations. You you get this depth. And you care so much more about the characters. You're like, we got to do this. We were all like, it's going to be a lot of work, but it's just, it really adds to to this thing. And and it's already so constrained, right? Like, it was very hard to get the environment to feel alive. Like, let's get the cars outside. Let's get the rain in the windows. I can change the lighting. I can do a lot of design around the, the apartment sounds and the neighbors. It can be old narratives on that, but it's still pretty static. So having voices... Took
1: it a lot further, and we we're like, we have to do this. Yeah, and, and that. Well, so thank you for answering that. That's a great insight. That's great insight into the process you used for just to get to that decision. So now, when it came to picking the actors, what was it like trying to decide who was going to play those parts? Uh, so the process was the the process is is, is it was a year long process. The process is like we've
2: decided we want to cast. Actors, right? We want voice for for these characters. Um, then the next process was making, right? First, seeing who's available and who's interested, because right, actors are always busy with movies and schedule. Like we had to get three actors that were interested in the project, they were available, they understood the complexity of what they were about to do, right? Because this isn't you, this is not a game you can come in, do your lines, and leave, right? You you gotta know the characters, and because you cannot memorize the script, they would have to understand the characters and be willing to put themselves in these positions and, and understand how they would talk to each other. Um, so it's knowing the variables we would have to send to all these agents um, and build a package that explains the game as well as we can. Uh, so we did this, right? I, I made a set of, of of actors that I believed could represent these characters. Um, and then we just send these things out and um, and see who's interested, who who fits or not like James McAvoy was actually an inspiration for the main character. uh, Long before I even knew I would have voice acting. Uh, William Dafoe was one of the reference for how I imagined, because the cop is supposed to be old like fifties or more. um, And there's only three or four actors that I was looking into that had this, this energy, right? That through the voice, you would, you would feel threatened, You would feel that this guy can beat you up every single loop, um, so yeah, it was this process of of seeing who's interested, and if they're interested having further conversations um, and then converting the script of the game into a readable script so they could digest the information. Um yeah, so that was the process. And then yeah, I, we were lucky that the, the people that were interested were 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 practically the ones we were looking for from, from day one. Yeah.
1: I gotta ask, are they are all three of them gamers or are any of them gamers? Uh,
2: No. So uh, James is a gamer, uh, but he had never done any gaming VO. daisys I don't think she's a gamer. Um, okay. And Willem is not a gamer for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, but then the process, like once they were in, I did a one-on-one with all of them, you know, like, like going really net, like first, of course, for example, Willem was very specific about, he doesn't want to be closed off in a room talking pretending he's talking with someone. And, and, and I had the same vision. I was like, I want you all to talk live with each other. So you, because there's this thing that they do where they bring their, there's a bit of improv into how they interpret the line and the other actor will bounce off. So for example, there were situations like, like when, when James asking about the watch, we get really pissed and, and she would be like, hey, would you chill out? And then he chills out on the next line and we have this nice fluidity in the conversations. Uh, and I wanted that. And they all wanted that too. So making sure on the same page, but also be like, look, you're going to be saying tables ready, tables ready, like 50 times maybe. And, and and you're going to be saying it like you've already tried, like if you set up the table, but you forgot the mug, you go put the mug, you can do again. So you have, you're getting more frustrated that you keep missing setting the table. And she's also getting right. And then even defining the personalities, like there was all this, because like, Daisy the woman is a character that you can do a lot of you can bother her a lot like there's this natural thing of point and click games where you you can turn the light on and off you can keep asking her questions you you can mess up with her so we we knew we needed her to be a character that she cannot be like you know all complaining all the time because she, she has to be on your side so she has to have this funny element where she Oh, you're just messing with me or you're proving you're living the same day, but it's not like things have to be lightly but serious. There's this nuance of the interpretation that, um, that it was up to them to figure this out, right? So there was this interesting, are you in to do that, right? You're not just going to come in and record lines. There's going to be all this process we'll be doing together. Um, yeah, so it was finding, building all this and, and then all the prep work to, to record
1: it. Gotcha. Well, I I got to say I'm jealous that you got to work one-on-one with Willem Dafoe. Um yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, growing up watching a lot of his movies, I I was uh, I've always loved him as an actor, but it really I thought he's a great choice for for the cop. Really. Oh yeah, the same. And and they and they formed
2: a lot like that's the other thing, like not only I think they bring a weight to the project, but they have this amount of expertise that that you don't realize, like, and especially because why we, we did these sessions with these, with these local actors. We, we did a lot of tests to be ready to work with them so we wouldn't waste anyone's time. And, and I'm expecting a certain level, but they bring it, like, I don't know, playing with lines and emotions, understanding the intent behind the character. And, and yeah, so we, what we actually did, we, we did like three or four sessions then we did the break so we could get all the stuff that they brought us, put it into the game, understand how it's working, and bring everything that they created. So we next session we could, okay, you guys took it in this direction and it's much better than what we thought. We did some rewrites. We're going to follow with that. Um, so making sure we could bring in all this. Yeah, like for example, James had this thing of... Because um, Daisy and Willem, they have in a way a linear progression. Like once... Once Willem's character uh, has seen that, you, for example, has been tied up, there's no undoing being tied up. But James' character might have been in loops where he was tied up or not, and he might be asking this thing after an amount of different variables. So he's, is, and he cannot be too, like he cannot go off the rails too much because the player still wants to control the character. But you still have to convey that you're, Right you're desensitized to some things, but you care about other things, and you have to do all this through your voice because there's no moke, no facial animation or anything. yeah, so there was all this process, and we're learning all this, right we don't know where this is going either <laughs> we're We're all together in this, um yeah, and being comfortable like I think what I mentioned before is like you know i think when you're a father or or when you when you when you start getting a salary and you're not living with your parents, you're like. No one knows what they're doing in life. You know, we're, all, we're all making it up as we go. So there's this acceptance of, you know, everything is on fire in a game development, especially near the end. And you just, you got to be at peace with it. You, we're just figuring it out. So we Knowing that you don't know the answers, I think it's huge. Being comfortable that you, you'll never know all the answers, and but still trying to make the best out of it versus I know what I'm doing, you know, and and you don't.
1: I think that comes from experience. I I know that when I was much, much younger, I definitely thought I knew a lot more than I did.
2: Oh, totally, totally. (laughs) Like like looking back at my time at Ubisoft and Rockstar, I was, yeah, I always believed. Oh, if I'm a lead artist, I need to know what I'm doing. But no, I think it's the opposite. Is is knowing that you don't know what you're doing, and work with everyone to find the answers versus pretending you know everything. uh, Yeah.
1: Not pretending. I mean, you think that's the way. Yeah, you're right. It's totally experience. Yeah. No, and it's great. Great. I think your example with working with the actors to sort of discover, you know, how how things were going to evolve with the lines is a great example. I mean, nobody knew, right? It sounds like. And yeah. If everybody can admit it, and egos don't get in the way. Then you come out with a really enjoyable, you know, process. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You you nailed it. It's
2: exactly that. Yeah. Because there's a lot of pleasure in it, in these challenges versus. Yeah
1: trying to stress out yeah cool i i want to conclude with a couple of questions that will hopefully help others who are interested in doing what you do right following their passion following their dreams and uh and really diving in deep to all aspects of production so for anybody who wants to follow in your footsteps and make their own game what are two things you would suggest not doing
2: not doing
1: <laughs> um
2: Um, with the not doing it's harder <laughs> but I, I think one, one thing that is unhealthy is like I'm going to do an example with something else like imagine you're designing a logo for a company and you like a lot the font from Fight Club and you like the color blue right and you set your goals to whatever this company does and I don't even know what they do I'm gonna do a blue logo using the Fight Club font, right? And you're immediately setting yourself for disappointment because maybe this company does baby clothes and the Fight Club logo is too aggressive and maybe everything is yellow and you want to do the blue. And a lot of developers I see, they have this, I wanna do this RPG fantasy world, na, 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 and And they're stuck on that idea and they're measuring everything they do from that point forward. On that thing they conceptualize without but you cannot know the end result uh, so letting go I think letting go of those things is 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 learning to let go I hmm. would say is one um, okay The other thing not to do <laughs> uh, do not sign a contract with a publisher if you haven't discovered all the all the design challenges, right? If if you don't know how many levels you're going to have, oh, we're going to have 10. We figure out two. No, no, no. You figure out all the levels. You figure out if it's fun to play all the levels. You figure out if you can push your mechanic for 10 levels, right? I could have signed 12 minutes with just like five loops because it looks interesting. But can I hold the experience for an hour, two hours, five hours? right? you got to answer all those before you sign with someone. That is huge because the moment you have the money and you see the money disappearing slowly in a society we live in you will feel the stress and suddenly you cannot it's impossible to be creative it's impossible you're like oh maybe we should change the control system but we didn't plan for that you know and 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 then you go into this um snowball of of stress and that's it you you won't have fun um, and what i usually see is you what most people that I see do is they eat up their marketing budget mm. on development. And then yeah, I would say another one like marketing. Marketing is as important as making a game. I would even almost say that it's 50-50. No. Marketing is huge because marketing is understanding what you're selling. Right? You have to you're making a product for you, It's not like you're doing a painting and it's gonna go in a gallery to and you don't care about your this is a product that people will be experiencing. Yeah. So there has to be, right? It's like a movie. You need to have an introduction to the characters, understand what the... I mean, you can play with these variables if you want, but there's a baseline of, of what you're doing if you want um, to have a dialogue. And I think the marketing process is understanding what the dialogue is, right? You understand what your game is about. Like that thing that I spoke about, the, when I went to PAX East in 2015... I was like, when I showed 12 minutes, I didn't tell anyone it was a loop. I thought people would be so interested that they would just play it. And and people would come in to play. But after five minutes, like, this is The Sims. I'm just making a meal and talking with the wife. And they would go to the other 500 games that are in the room. It was like, okay. Have you heard about Groundhog Day? It's like that. It's a time loop. Like, oh. So suddenly they would play the first loop to learn, to see what happens after. And they would get hooked. So I, myself, learn what's the hook, how to convey the hook, how to market the hook. And this process is parallel to game development. Mm-hmm. And you keep measuring. It. It's, it's, it's crucial. Um, and I see a lot of developers, they don't, they don't see that. They're like, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm an author.
1: I don't care about marketing. No, you, it's very important. Um, it sounds like you were thinking about it from the beginning, though, too, right? You're saying that it's on a parallel track with development? Yeah, so all the it's projects... Evolving-
2: yeah, all the pro- like the witness the same, like how do you market the witness, right? What What is the, ex- like when you make a trailer, for example, you, you're distilling the experience that you're giving to the player in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. So you got to know very well what that experience is so you can, you know, convey it. Like, and even like a teaser trailer is about, right? Yeah, like understanding what you're trying to communicate and knowing very intimately the product that you're working on so you can, Communicated, and you you have to ask those questions yourself too. And 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 I think even that informs, you know, like when I when I realize oh it's an interactive thriller, right? I think leaning on on that helps underst- helps even inform the decisions of of the mood and the pacing and 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 right and the unsettling aspect of it. And then wait, and how do those movies market themselves? Oh, we could actually learn from what they've done, right? Or a poster. Let's do a movie poster. Let's, let's do behind the scenes because we're like movies do behind the scenes actually. But what's the tone of the behind the scenes? Oh, what's the tone that they use? There's all this. Yeah. Everything ends up
1: connecting very organically, Uh, but you got to look at it early on. Yeah. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. And I, 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 as you look ahead, what keeps you excited about doing what you do? Um, I think it's the,
2: the games are very young, right? It's such a young industry. Like we're, we're right. We had this first learning that you could use computers to make games or, or you could use these machines to create these interactive experiences. And we're like, if I look at games nowadays, right? We still, we still have levels. We still have these points that you gain, you lose a level, you start, we're still doing a lot of the. Super Mario Pac-Man scores and points with right? such a young medium. Um, so there's all this, there's so much to explore. And that that's so exciting. Like, for example, 12 Minutes, I, I didn't know what it would be when I started. But there's things there, for example, like uh, somehow I think we success, successfully merged. Um, like there's a story we're trying to tell. And there's the gameplay you're playing, and these two, I think, are connected. You don't have a cutscene and then you play the action. That we we managed to make that disappear. Your your ongoing part of, or or even the fact that, I think for the first three hours, you 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 don't know quite well your play space. There's you don't see the walls, right? You're like, oh, I can combine. Oh, it's oh oh he reacts to this, right? And I'm like, that's that's what I want to explore. I'm like there's a lot to explore in there. Half of this was accidental, half of this was planned. And I think, yeah, the game development world has, there's a lot to explore and it's, that excites me. Like um, just digging, like literally, I have some ideas I want to dig into and I have no idea what I'm going to find, but the, the, that's very exciting,
1: I think. That's yeah. Wow, that's wonderful. I love it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, Luis, thank you so much for taking the time, for, for going deep on a lot of these subjects. I know it's going to be helpful for many folks out there who again want to create the same types of very unique and personalized experiences and congratulations on the game thank you thank you for the opportunity i love the
2: questions and and who's played the game i hope you enjoyed it it was a it was a work of love
1: uh a lot of pleasure doing it
2: and I that hope definitely a,
1: comes through that's good to know <laughs> definitely comes through when playing it. i really enjoyed playing it so <laughs> cool cool Thank you for joining us for the Game Makers Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.
0: The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to share that the 2022 Dice Summit and Dice Awards will be returning in person to the gorgeous Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino and Delano Hotel in Las Vegas on February 22nd to 24th, 2022. We'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Dice Awards and bringing together industry leaders to share their ideas about the many facets of the interactive entertainment industry. Stay tuned to www.interactive.org and our Twitter at official underscore A-I-A-S, for more details coming soon, including special anniversary rates. We can't wait to see you again. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up.